poor Pharaoh, and God told him, hey, you got you to leave my people out of Egypt to the promised land. And Pharaoh said, who's the Lord? And uh, we looked at the fact that when it doesn't appear that things are working, uh, we have to focus on God's control. And then we looked at, if this was a, a less formal setting, I'd, I'd give you a quiz. But you, you're off the hook today. I'm just going to tell you what we looked at. Maybe you remember or not. Then we looked at, help, Lord, I don't like waiting. You ever find yourself there? We're supposed to be uh, doing something. We need God to break through. We're waiting on the Lord. And we said, what are we supposed to do while we're waiting on God? Uh, keep doing what you know to be, be the right thing to do, right? Keep doing right. God will come through in his time. And then we had a third message where we looked at, help, Lord, I have a challenge witnessing. And sometimes this can be a challenge for all of us. We know we're supposed to give people the gospel. We're no, we know we're supposed to see people saved. And sometimes it can be a challenge. And I, I encourage us all to focus on our relationship with God. Do you know witnessing will flow from a vibrant relationship with the Lord? The disciples said this, we can't help but speak the things which we've seen and heard. We can't help it. And when God is active and alive and vibrant, while our relationship with him is vibrant, it is going to come out. And then we looked at a message, number four, help, Lord, I can't stop worrying. We looked at Matthew chapter number six, and sometimes, as I said, for, for many of us, it's not that we are chronic worriers. The worry comes when we find ourselves facing trials. We kind of ebb and flow. And uh, sometimes we get through a situation and we find ourselves, hey, I'm going to trust the Lord until another big situation comes. And uh, God says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And I'm thankful for that. Last week, we looked at a message entitled, Help Lord, I'm Not Sure I'm Willing. And we looked at the story of Jonah and how Jonah did the total opposite of what God wanted. His perspective about God was wrong. And uh, he, uh, he, had the, he, he had the right understanding of God. Uh, he knew that God would save and God would deliver, and God did. And he kind of got mad about it. And uh, Jonah was a self-centered uh, individual. And uh, we need to recognize that life's not about us. It's about God. You know it's a privilege that God wants to use any of us. What a privilege. For the God of heaven that said, in, in the Bible says, in the beginning God said, God created, right? God created the heaven and the earth. That same God wants to use you and me. Well, our last message in this series, I think, it's our last message, uh, we planned it to land on the Sunday before Thanksgiving. And that is this, help Lord, I have a problem whining, complaining. You know, I have recognized when I think of my own life, I found that I can't really I have a complaining spirit and a thankful spirit at the same time. And I got to thinking concerning this matter of whining or complaining, and I asked myself the question, who in the Bible had a problem with whining or complaining? You don't have to look far. Matter of fact, when you read the story of the Red Sea, the crossing of the Red Sea, the children of Israel, they walked on dry ground. God parted the sea. They walked on dry ground. They saw God deliver them from Egypt, and three days after that, they're complaining about God not providing food, water in the wilderness there on their journey. Uh, it doesn't take, how long does it take you to be tempted to? I'm giving you the benefit of the doubt, right? I'm not telling you you're guilty. How, is, how long does it take you to be tempted to complain or even to complain after God does something miraculous? We have a tendency to be very 
self-focused. And uh, in Exodus chapter 15, you can see that it only took three days. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians 10, verse number 6. Now these things, speaking concerning the example of the children of Israel, these things were written for our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Then God gives four issues that are examples. The last one, the Bible says this, neither murmur ye. We're looking at New Testament now, 1 Corinthians 10 and verse number 10. Neither murmur ye. Look, the uh, Old Testament examples were for us. Neither murmur ye, as some also murmured, and they were destroyed of the destroyer. The next verse after chapter, after verse number 10, is verse 11. Be surprised. <laughs> verse 11 says the same thing, essentially, as was said in verse number 6. Now, all these things happen to them for examples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. So, sandwiched between, they are written for our examples. We find four issues, and one of those issues is murmuring, complaining. Look at Numbers 11 and verse number 1. Numbers 11, verse 1, the Bible says this, And when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. I want to do something I don't normally do this morning. I want to actually preach a message from Numbers 11, Numbers 12 and Numbers 13. And I want to help us with this matter of complaining, murmuring, whining. And I want to look at three reasons why sometimes it's a challenge for us. It displeased the Numbers 11, 1, and when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. I remember when the children were younger, uh, we went over this in family devotions, and we posted it on the refrigerator. And when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. What a great verse to memorize. We should say it together. Let's read that phrase together if you need the Bible there. Verse 1 of Numbers 11. Let's read it together now. And when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. Now look at your neighbor and you say to them the same thing. Ready? You look at them and you're going to say the same verse. All right? Here we go together. As you look at somebody next to you, you're going to say this. And when the people complain, it displeased the Lord. Do we need to, should we just dismiss right now, right? Do we need to go any further? Numbers 11 gives us a story. Numbers 12 gives a story. Number 13 gives us a story. And, uh, and we're going to look at that. And I trust the Lord will help us with this matter of complaining three reasons. Let's have a word of prayer, and we'll dive into chapter 11. Lord, we love you today. Thank you for the privilege to sing Redeemed, How I Love to Proclaim It. And Lord, I ask now this morning that you would do what only you can do. Would you meet with us? Would you speak to our hearts? Lord, would you help us to see why sometimes we have a tendency to complain? Lord, deliver us, we pray, that we might let our light shine and people might be drawn to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Numbers 11. And verse number one, we read it already, the people complained, it displeased the Lord. I want you to see from this chapter that one of the reasons we complain is because we have comfort issues. We have comfort issues. You say, what does that mean? There are times in our lives when our comfort becomes the most important thing or more important than other things. And when our comfort is compromised just a little bit, we can find ourselves complaining 
And that's what happens in this passage of Scripture. Look at verse 2. And the people cried unto Moses, and when Moses prayed unto the Lord, the fire was quenched. God sends a fire. God judges them. I, I didn't read the rest of verse 1, so let's just read verse 1 again. People complained, displeased the Lord, and the Lord heard it. His anger was kindled. The fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. Moses prays, God quenches the fire, verse, uh, verse number 4, and the multitude and the mixed multitude that was among them fell a-lusting, and the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers, the melons, and leeks, and the onions, and the garlic, but now our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all besides this manna before our eyes." God had provided them food. He had provided them. By the way, the scripture tells us, we'll look at this in just a minute, having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. We'll look at that in just a second. The reality is God was meeting their needs. God was doing a good job meeting their needs, but they remembered back what they had in Egypt, and uh, they didn't like the manna anymore. They wanted more tasty Food. The Bible says in verse 8, the people went about, gathered it, and ground it in mills, and beat it in a mortar, and baked it in pans, and made cakes of it, and the taste of it was the taste of fresh oil. They're complaining. Moses hears the complaint in verse number 10, and Moses talks to the Lord about that. The manna was enough to meet their need, but they wanted something more. They wanted something better. They wanted something that tastes a little bit better. By the way, this is the same reason why when you feed your children uh, something at home uh, that is good and good for them, that they sometimes want McDonald's or Chick-fil-A or, right, it's about our own comforts. Have you ever known a kid, sometimes children can get in trouble, maybe you did when you were a child, do you ever get in trouble for taking a cookie out of the cookie jar when you weren't supposed to do that? Anyone, Tyler's going to confess his sins, right? Or taking candy out of a candy jar. How many of you have ever heard, Tyler's double trouble, how many of you have ever heard of a young person getting in trouble for stealing some broccoli from the refrigerator and taking it down to the basement and eating it? Carrots? You see, <laughs> we don't get in trouble for stuff like that. We say, hey, Cookies taste better than broccoli, and so I want cookies. You see, it's, we're about our own comfort. You say, oh, no, that's not the case with me. Well, all we need to do is get Brother Fajoli to come up here and adjust the thermostat <laughs> a few degrees one way or the other, and immediately our comfort is compromised, and we'll immediately be thinking, is, he, is it broken? Is the heater broken? You see, we're more about our comforts than we like to admit and when our comfort is compromised, we find ourselves complaining. Were the children of Israel taken care of in this passage? They sure were. God was doing a fine job taking care of them. But they said, you know what? We want something that tastes better to our palate. In Matthew chapter 19, look at Matthew 19. We read a story, a sad story of an individual that uh, needed to be saved, if this is the right passage. Matthew chapter number 19 and verse number 16. Matthew 19 and verse 16, and the Bible says this. Give me a minute to find it there. Man asked a question of Jesus. And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? 
And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one that is God. If thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. He said unto him, Which? Thou shalt do no murder, adultery, not steal, not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother. And the young man said unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth. What lack I? And Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast. And give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. When the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful. Why? For he had great possessions. He had possessions that give comfort in life. And he said, you know what? My possessions are more important to me than eternal life. Isn't that sad? Isn't that sad that people live for the almighty dollar? I've told people this. You want a good way to help people to, to make a connection? I was talking to somebody just a couple weeks ago, my, 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 good, my, not my good friend, but a friend of mine um, that has come here to visit. And I said this, you know, people think, oh, I don't think about the future. I don't think about the future. Yet, do, you, do, you, do you think about retirement? Do you have anything set aside for retirement? And usually they'll chuckle at you and go, well, yeah. So you're planning for the future, but you're not planning for the future future, the day that you die. You see, and, and, and someday all of us will die. Only what's done for Christ will last, is what the songwriter said. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Life is not about our comforts. I'm amazed when I meet some of the missionaries. Brother, uh, Brother Schreiner was with us in September, and uh, we're going to recommend in our annual meeting that we take him on for support. Imagine this, taking your wife and your little child and we drop you right in the middle of Warsaw, Poland. Poof, there you are. Get it done. You talk about comforts, can mean, talk about being out of comfort zone. I'm amazed with individuals that are willing to do that, but often we don't want to get out of our comfort zone. Do you know God wants to get you out of your comfort zone? Because when I'm out of my comfort zone, often I'm more dependent on God than I am when I'm in my comfort zone. And what causes us sometimes, you think about this, what causes us sometimes when we complain about whatever it is, the weather, the rain, the temperature, the food, whatever it is, it's because we want to be more comfortable. What's the answer with comfort issues? By the way, the answer is the same for all three issues we're going to look at this morning. The answer is to let God be God. Look at chapter 11 and verse number 23. God has an interaction with Moses. And to make a long story short, the Lord said unto him, Moses, is the Lord's hand waxed short? God's able to take care. We've got to recognize that life is not about my comfort. See, yeah, but if I just had more, if I, if I just had a million dollars, boy, I could give away a lot of millions, a lot of money. God knows that if you had a million dollars, it might wreck you. That's why I ain't giving it to you. <laughs> Comfort. Look at chapter number 12. Chapter number 12, I want to see the second issue that often causes complaining, and that is not just comfort issues, contentment issues. We're not content with what God has given us in life. Numbers 12, the Bible says this, And Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman who had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. Moses married an Ethiopian woman. Moses is the one God put in charge. Miriam and Aaron, and Aaron are complaining against the leadership that God had set up. 
Verse 2, and they said, Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Hath he not spoken also by us? Now hold on a second. Look at what the Bible says. And the Lord heard it. They weren't just having a conversation amongst the three of them. It wasn't just Miriam and Aaron and Moses. The Bible says Miriam and Aaron were complaining. By the way, were complaining. By the way Miriam was the leader. And you, ever, you ever read this passage and wonder, why did Miriam get in trouble? We'll see that in just, in, in just a minute. Um, the key is the verb in verse number one. And Miriam and Aaron spake. That verb there, spake, is feminine. It's referring to Miriam, who took the lead, which is why she was punished. And the two of them are complaining against Moses, and God heard it. Do you know God hears us when we complain? Oh, we may think it's just us in the car by ourselves, or just us in a room by ourselves. Hey, God hears it. And God very quickly takes action. Moses was meek, verse 3. Verse 4, the Lord spake suddenly unto Moses and unto Aaron and unto Miriam. It says, come out ye three unto the tabernacle of the congregation. And they three came out. You three get out here. Get out here. I want to talk to you. And the Lord came down in the pillar of the cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forth. What's the problem here? The problem here is that Miriam and Aaron were not content with the leadership that God had put in their life. What makes you to think that you are the one in charge of us? And God clarifies that. God makes it really clear, by the way. Look at verse number 6. And he said, Hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision and will speak unto him in a dream. My servant, my servant Moses is not so who is faithful in all my house. With him will I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently and not in dark speeches. After the similitude of the Lord shall he behold. Wherefore then were ye afraid to speak against my servant Moses? You see, they were not happy with what God had set up. God is the one that picked Moses up. Now think about this. What is it that causes us to complain? Sometimes we see what someone else has. I hope this isn't the case, but maybe you drive into a parking lot, hopefully not in the church parking lot, and you drive in your car, and, and uh, it's coming on two, you know, it's, it's running on just a few cylinders, and you come in, and boom, look at that car. Well, that guy's got a nice car. How come that guy can have a nicer car, and I can't? Oh, maybe somebody, you go, go visit their house, and you think this makes By the way, I don't understand this. Maybe you can help me solve something. Why is it that two people live in the great big five-bedroom, biggest houses, and the people with all the kids, the eight or ten people, they live in the small, the small shacks? I know why it is. They can't afford it, right? But it doesn't kind of make sense. We were out witnessing the other day, and this house was ginormous. I mean, it was huge. There were two people living there, two older people living there, and whoever I was with, I can't remember who I was with, but I, I, I commented. Maybe it was Richard. I commented and said, yeah, it's interesting. They have a lot of house to clean, just the two of them. I think it probably was Richard because I said, you know, you kind of need this kind of house right now, Richard. You know, and we chuckled and left. But you know what? Sometimes when we're not content, we see what someone else has. Uh, 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 I, I read a, a little story about why the grass looks greener. Um, in her column, Ask Marilyn, 
uh, she gave this, I don't know who the lady is, she gave an interesting perspective on contentment. One reader wrote about a unique experiment she had conducted after being dissatisfied that her neighbor's yard looked better than her own. How many of you think your neighbor's yard might look better than your own? A couple people, yeah. Mine looks better. Of course, she pays someone to take care of it in any event. So here's what she did. She did what few have done. She walked next door to look back at her own green grass. So now she's on the neighbor's yard looking at her lawn. When she stood in her neighbor's yard, the grass in her own yard now looked greener than hers. You see, why does this occur? It, it occurs because the grass looks greener on the other side of the fence because you're not close enough to see the dirt. Most of the time, things look better for others simply because we can't see. We don't see the full picture. We think that somebody has it all together. By the way, I've talked to people out there that have visited here, and I want you to know that the consensus among many people out there is that you all have it all together, all right? So I'm just telling you, everybody at your church, I've had people tell me this, everybody at your church has it all together. And I just chuckle a little bit and say, well, no, that's not the case, <laughs> starting with this guy <laughs> right here. But we become discontent when we're not happy with the lot in life that God has given us. By the way, everything that you have has been given from the Lord. God gives you, yeah, but I earned it. God gave you the ability to earn it. God gave you the brains to earn it. God gave you the manpower to earn it. You see, we have to recognize every good and perfect gift comes from above. And God, in his sovereignty, entrusts some with more than others. But all of us have to trust God in every area of our life. He's the one that has provided. And Miriam and Aaron are not content, and they begin complaining. Someone said this, If we would find contentment, let us go to homes where women are crippled with rheumatism or dying of cancer, where comforts are few. You ever notice that we don't get discontent when we see someone else in a wheelchair and not us? You know, we might see somebody else driving a, a Corvette, a brand-new Corvette. We might think, man, I, I'm driving this clunker, and they're driving that. But we don't ever say, you know what, I'm walking, and they're in a wheelchair unable to walk. I can see, and, and they can't see. You see, we our, our perspective. And the author of this says, hey, goes to where they're dying of cancer, where comforts are few, where long hours of loneliness are not broken by the intrusion of friendly faces, where there, uh, 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 where there is contentment reveals itself in situations like that, like a shiny flower. How often in the homes of the wealthy, one has missed it to find the homes of the poor. Contentment isn't often in the homes of the wealthy. Why? Because they've got to have more. They've got to have more. How often it is, is it wanting where health is, is good and uh, it's discovered contentment where disease is wearing out the strength. The Apostle Paul said this when he came to this matter of contentment. He said, I have learned, you know the verse, uh, I've learned how to be abased and how to abound. I've had a lot and I've had a little, but I've learned to be content. It's encouraging to recognize that content people are not born that way. We all have to learn to be content. You see, it's a choice that we make to do what? Here's our solution. To let God be God. That's what God says to Miriam. 
That's what God says to, uh, uh, to, uh, to Aaron here. I chose Moses. I chose to speak face to face with him, and he's my leader. It's interesting. Imagine being Miriam. We don't know exactly how many children of Israel. Uh, some say it could have been a million people. But there's a whole lot of people that are stayed put for a whole week. They're not moving. Can you imagine? Where are we going? What? Are we ready to go? Ready to go? You ever get excited about going somewhere and you got to wait on someone else, you know? Maybe it's Christmas present. Right? Can we open our present? No, we're waiting on, you know what I mean? And that one person comes down at the end and everyone stares at him. It's your fault. Miriam was the problem here. She's holding up the whole crew. The Bible says this. Uh, look at verse number 10. And the cloud departed from off the tabernacle, and behold, Miriam became leprous, white as snow. Moses intercedes, and, uh, and Moses cries, verse 13, says, Heal her now, God, I beseech you. Verse 14, the Lord said unto, her, unto Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, should she not be ashamed seven days? Let her be shut out from the camp seven days, and after that let her re, uh, be received again. She's shut out, verse 15, and the people journeyed not until Miriam was brought in again. Boy, can you imagine that kind of punishment? Everyone waiting and see it's your fault. Why? Because she complained. Go to chapter 13. Chapter number 13, really our, our, our answer is going to be in chapter number 14. We find the issue here, though, in chapter 13. The issue is they're on the outside, they're outskirts of the promised land. And uh, let me give you the, uh, the reason, three reasons. Number one, we have comfort issues. Number two, we have contentment issues. Number three, we have control issues. We don't like to admit it, but we have control issues. Children of Israel are outside the promised land, and uh, they send in the spies. You know the story. They send in 12 spies, two come back with a good report. Verse 31 of chapter 13, we'll get to 14 in a minute. But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against this people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched in the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which in our sight was grasshoppers. Look at verse chapter 14. And all the congregation lifted up their voice, cried, and wept that night. And the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, Would God, we had died in the land of Egypt. Their memory has, has uh, slipped. In Egypt, it was not a piece of cake. In Egypt, they were slaves. In Egypt, they faced hardship and difficulty. And now they want to go back. Would God, we had died in this wilderness. Wherefore hath the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return to Egypt? By the way, verse 4, let's make us a captain and return to Egypt. By the way, sometimes the temptation for us when we're in situations where we're not in control is to run. If I can't have it my way, then I'm out of here. We, we, we act like, like, them, like little babies. That's what a little kid says. If I can't have it my way, I'm leaving. Hey, we need to learn how to work through situations. In this case, the children of Israel are scared to death. They're not searching the promised land. God's two servants, Joshua and Caleb, say, hey, we can do this. You see that again in chapter 14. 
and they continue to complain. Why? Because they're looking at the external circumstances that are outside of their control. We're all going to be killed. Let's make a leader and go back to Egypt. None of which, by the way, was true. And sometimes we can find ourselves complaining because we get into situations that are outside of our control. Running is not the answer. Too many people try to control, and when they can't control, they run. You know, God is in control. Do you know really control? If you ever feel like everything's going good in my life, you ever feel like you're in control, it's an illusion. (laughs) None of us are in control. You may have lots of money in the bank. You may have your house fully repaired. Your lawn looks immaculate, and everything just seems like all your ducks in a row. It may seem like you've got it under control, and the reality is you don't. There's only one in control, and his name is God. And the reason we complain is because we face challenges often that we don't like. How many of us like to feel like our lives are out of control. Why does the situation in the Middle East make you a little uneasy? Why is it when people talk about World War, possible World War III or whatever, why does it make us a little uneasy? Because we're not in control. Why is it that people will tell you, you got to have all this, now I do think we need to prepare, but I just sometimes, I talk to people and, and it just scratches my head you got to have all this stuff stocked up in your basement. Okay, so picture this. You're the only, and again, I'm, not, I'm for preparation, um, but you're the only one in the neighborhood that has everything stocked up, and your neighbors come over because they find out, well, everything's going good there. What are you going to do? Shoot all your neighbors? And eventually the other neighbors are going to, eventually, when your mind allows to go, hey, prepare, but recognize that God's in control. You see, we can't take God out of the equation here because we can do all the preparing that we want to do, and yet we recognize that I'm not in control. God's in control. And we won't take the time to look at it. I was going to read from Isaiah 40. What a tremendous psalm. I mean, psalm. What a tremendous, it's like a psalm. What a tremendous passage of scripture that reminds us concerning God being God. And by the way, that's the answer for control issues as well. Look at verse 11 of chapter 14. We need to let God be God. And the Lord said unto Moses, all right, so they complain. Joshua and Caleb come back and say, look, God's going to bring us. He'll give us this land. Verse 11, and the Lord said unto Moses, how long will these people provoke me? And how long will it be ere they believe me for all the signs which I've showed among them? Verse 12, 22, you see their punishment to wander in the wilderness. Because Why? These men which have seen my glory and the miracles which I did in Egypt and the wilderness have they tempted me now these ten times and have not hearkened unto my voice. At least ten times God came through. He came through more than ten times, but there are ten times where God actually delivered and they still complain and refuse to believe God. See, what God's trying to get them to see in this passage, what I think God's trying to get us to see in chapter 11, chapter 12, and chapter 14 is that we need to let God be God. And when we let God be God, the things that come our way, when our comforts get compromised just a little bit, 
we can recognize. You know the fact that you live in the United States of America, you have it way better than most people on the globe. My daughter and I, Sarah, did a bunch of mission trips. We're talking a few weeks ago, and, and she basically said the same thing, you know, Dad, in all of these countries, we have it way better. You know, think about running water. You know, there are some uh, places where they don't have running water. And uh, you think about the, when we went to Mexico, went 12 hours into Mexico, we showered in the river where all the animals showered too. Yeah, it's kind of gross. Yeah, just a little bit, but <laughs> you got to do what you got to do. You know, they didn't have a bathroom. They just had bricks outside. And because we showed up, they put curtains in front of those bricks. We got it a whole lot better. But see, when our comfort can compromise just a little bit, we start complaining just like the children of Israel. When we look at something somebody else has, or something God's done, and we look at it, we, we begin to complain like Miriam. When situations are outside of our, col- our, our control, and they all are, we can find ourselves complaining. We need to recognize, just like they did here in chapter 14, and we need to recognize that I've got to let God be God. He's in control. I alluded to this, or not alluded to this, we talked about this. I want you to turn to Philippians. We talked about this last Sunday night, I believe it was. But I, I feel led to just look at it again for one minute in clothe, closing. Uh, Philippians chapter number 2 and verse 14. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Every one of us would agree that we live in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. If we want to make a difference in this world, we have got to do all things without murmurings and disputings. And we'll do that in a better way when we focus less on our comforts, when we learn to be content, and when we let God be in control. Thank you, Lord, for the few minutes that we were able to take your word and look at it. Lord, all of us at times...